Hello there, boxing fans around the world. Thank you for joining us once again here on Talk and Fight for the episode of the Friday Night Panel. Featuring myself and Lou Eisen, a uh, renowned historian in the boxing world, and, of course, a great uh, host here on Talk and Fight as well. Thank you, Lou, for joining me. My Appreciate pleasure. it. Uh, one of the things I just wanted to quickly cover off before we got started on, on the panel, I, I, something that we often uh, neglect to say is just how global the sport truly is because i was just having a quick look while we were chit-chatting before the uh episode got started i was just having a quick look at uh how many fights are going on around the world tonight alone i just want to mention a few of these countries we've got uh fights happening in in argentina you know we've got fights happening uh in in in, in obviously in the uk there's fights happening probably every night in the uk but you're, t you're talking about fights happening in france argentina uh, you, you're looking at uh, Monterey down in uh, South America. You're looking at Tabasco in Mexico. You're looking at uh, all these places around the world that blow, knocks my socks off because we, we rarely ever in Spain, um, Bangkok, uh, obviously in America's fights going on. Uh, and this is just tonight I'm talking about. And it kind of knocked my socks off because we, we rarely ever get to speak about the global nature of the sport. We tend to speak specifically about events and or name fighters but we, we rarely get to see uh australia their fights happening tonight uh their fights happening in uh wow look at this over in brazil like i'm i'm and of course canada <laughs> i didn't yeah. realize i didn't realize we had fights in canada yeah but uh josh wagner's taking on uh william herrera tonight and mark smith is taking on uh, jose yasso so so that's taking place in barrington i think that's uh Oh, uh, what's that fight name? Uh, can't remember the guy's name. That Tyler Buxton. Sorry about that. Yeah, Tyler but, Buxton. Oh, yeah, great guy. Yeah. So, 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 I, I just want to point out, just on a Friday night alone, you've got fights around the world, from Australia to Brazil and Argentina to Mexico, up here in Canada, and uh, America, and across Europe. And we rarely say it, but it's truly a global sport. And uh, you know, young people, men and women, are fighting to compete in all different uh divisions and uh you know we tend to always touch on the shall we say the famous or the well-known names right. uh or the well-known divisions but not not so much uh you know where these young people are fighting in or around uh because the other day just for example lou i was i was mentioning the uh the scene in india and uh, a, lo a lot of comments came back saying wow we didn't realize that india had such a big boxing scene mm -hmm. uh, well, a billion people go figure and uh, you know just like soccer all you need is a soccer ball uh, right. but just you know in boxing all you need is a pair of gloves and away you go and sometimes not even yeah i mean just the, true. The, heart, the heart and the courage and not only do we rarely mention it graham but i i think it's great that you mentioned i love you for mentioning it but it has to be mentioned all the time because it is a global sport it's been a global sport since i, I guess john l sullivan in the 1880s, but even before that. And the other thing is all the places you mentioned tonight are packed with people. They're packed, jam-packed with fans, watching these fighters, cheering them on. They have a vested interest in it. A lot of them are local fighters. And and the media doesn't report this. So when you call 
uh, TV or radio stations or newspapers, they'll say, well, boxing is dead. And I, and I always say to them, you don't have to believe people like you or me in boxing. Believe in math. Math never lies. And, and the math shows that when boxing goes in in a certain area, whether, whether it's India, whether it's South America, Brazil, Argentina, England, France, Sweden, Thailand, China, Japan, which has a long history, it always trends upwards. It always does well and better with each show in each city. MMA does well the first time into a market and then it trends downwards. Right. And, and they don't believe it. And I say, you don't have to believe it. Who cares what you believe? Look at the math. The math is there. It's packed. Tyler Buxton shows are packed. England is the birthplace of the sport. It's packed. You and I have both seen photos of British soldiers in boxing matches in India from the 1880s. I mean, that's 100, That's almost 150 years ago. Yeah. So other than soccer or golf or billiards, what other sport can say trace its history back to 1700? And it's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Let, let me just interject on, on a personal note. Uh, I had some family uh, who went over to the Philippines, and when they came back, they said they were shocked. They would go into they would go into shopping malls, and there would be a boxing match in the middle of a shopping mall, and wow. surrounded by thousands of cheering people in a shopping mall. Yeah, they're like, crazy. That, that's how popular it is in the Philippines as a sport. Well, that goes back to the the early 1900s with Pancho Villa, who was the world flyweight champion. <laughs> and before him, they had other great fighters in the late 1890s, 1900. But by the time Pancho Villa caught on, I guess, flyweight in, in, in the early 1900s, I'm guessing of 1915, 1920, because he only lived to be 23 or 24. He died from pyorrhea. He got uh, blood poisoning from gum disease. Wow. And he was a great fighter. And he lived a fast life. He fought Jimmy McLarnon. But then you had flashed a Lordy in the 40s and 50s, and he beat something like 20 Hall of Famers. And not not split decision, he destroyed them. And then, of course, Manny Pacquiao becomes a global phenomenon. So you're right. In the Philippines, boxing goes back, if we look at the history of it, goes back over 130 years. Yeah. And so France, you know, it was originally karate was the big thing. George Carponche was the one who really popularized it, the light heavyweight working. But you still, it still went back to the early 1900s, late 1890s in France. So boxing can trace its history in all these places you mentioned to the 1800s in Canada, across Canada uh, from 1860 on. Boxing was very popular. Wow. Hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, champ. Hey. Ah. 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 Oh, I thought that. For a minute, I thought that was a. I thought that was a. I thought it was a baseball glove for a minute. Oh man, my! Look at that. That's Larry Holmes' chin, is what that is. <laughs> Got the little. <laughs> the Larry Holmes chin. Just been trying it, to stay in shape. That's all. Is is that the Tim Witherspoon endorsed glove on the talking fight show? Is that is that what that is? <laughs> the love. I was throwing punches, right? Sorry, did you say love? <laughs> who who you loving tonight? I'm loving this glove. <laughs> so, Tim, it's, every every fighter I've spoken to, they say that it, boxing is the loneliest sport because you're out there running those miles and training in the gym, and you're basically on your own, except for your team, your trainer and sparring partners. But when you're out there running early in the morning when other people are sleeping, 
that's you know that's what makes it extremely lonely i suppose are you saying that boxers are lonely well they say that boxing is the loneliest sport when i've spoken to different boxers because you're out there at four or five in the morning and you're up and you're running five no, ten I, miles. well what motivated me voted me what motivated me was the team i mean you know i could do it i could do it by myself but it's kind of hard right i'm used to playing american football soccer baseball a team thing and so i'm more adapted to like uh, uh, a lot of people around pushing me and helping me uh and me helping them once i win so so um some guys do it lonely they run uh, and think i don't know i don't know i never did that but i get more energy when when people are with me and engaging and helping me and saying things to me um and they're a part of it too they're a part of right. the the fun and and whatever we, we we benefit from from the team thing so but there is guys that are like that when i was boxing they want to run by themselves and i don't know i don't know well, I don't let know me ask you, i have a question to ask you Tim. uh angela dundee had a rule only one guy talks in the corner i can't every weekend when i watch fights a guy sits in the corner after the round ends and there's three guys yelling at him and angel said a fighter can't that can't take in three voices let alone one voice one guy speaking calmly and not giving him hell does it drive well, that's how you can tell an experience or experienced guys they usually uh say what who's going to say what at what time before you get in that before you go to the corner i didn't mean to cut you off but no um, usually everybody know their game. Once the head guy give all his stuff in, uh, whoever the second guy, the second, he throw in this little bit of motivation. The cut man already jump in there and check you out if he's, if he's bruised. But the head guy gets the lead way and spoke, speak, speaking and motivating. No, but that second is the one that that's kind of like more motivating because your second is like your brother, somebody you trust. Right. Uh, somebody you would you know he'll stab somebody for you or shoot somebody for you um and you got most most of the time you have you have him with you all the time so um you know his word is good too so that's powerful when you just when you know you take turns telling the boxers what to do and everything's organized when that bell rings from the ground for that round he's ready but if there's one guy this way you you know the boxer probably like well, he's doing this he's doing that i'm trying to get my breathing right i'm trying to drink the water real quick you got to give them get their breathing together before you if you see a guy in the corner just giving the guy water as soon as you sit down i'm kind of skeptical about that you what i do is i take my hand i put it down with her with her uh because my trainer did it pull it pull it pull the, like, the, the uh cup pull the right. cup, start the breathing don't give him no water you got 30 seconds you got 30 seconds to, for that bell to raise 30 seconds, right? It's a minute between rounds, but, oh, oh. but you're right. But it, it I mean, when, when, I'm ready for that. And like, he could, he could drink the water and he would, I didn't mean to cut you off, but he could drink no that problem. water. Get his breathing right. Go to, don't right. drink the water after a couple of breathes. Let him keep breathing. Right. And Angelo, you see him relax. That's when you give him the water. But you see everybody wanting to give the guy water first. He's choking a little bit, and then he's struggling to breathe. Get his breathing together first. Don't look pretty in front of the cameras because you got that thing. Wait until his breathing's right and give him the water. Yeah, Angela would pull the trunks and 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 the cup out. He would say, "Give me three deep breaths, 
give me one more deep breath. And then they would say, because Angelo was the rare guy. Now you have a bunch of guys. Angelo could do the cuts and do the water and be the strategist. So Angelo would say, okay, have some water. And he could put his hands on Ray's face and he'd say, listen to me. When you know when he fought Hagler, this guy's a sucker for a feint. He's trying to sucker you into a brawl because he called Ray a fag and all these things to get under his skin. And Angelo said, "You're not here to fight him. You're here to defeat him, and you defeat him by boxing him. You don't want to fight his fight. You don't fight head on with Hagler. You have to keep circling and keep turning him. Get in. Let your hands go. Get the hell out as quick as possible." And he was the only one talking. Like when, when Bandini want, wanted to say something with Muhammad, Angelo would just say, I'm this chief second, you keep your mouth shut. And and Bandini was Muhammad's cheerleader. He just knew nothing about boxing. Yeah, he was motivated. But let me tell you that, um, and I hate to say it, Angelo Dundee was born only five minutes from where I was born and raised in South Philly, um, walking, walking distance. Um, and um, I did hear Muhammad Ali hollering. I'm talking to good and the bad, like really uh, hollering at him. And I didn't understand oh, yeah. that before I got in the boxing game. I, you know, I thought Angelo was a top, really good trainer, and he's a really nice person. But somebody told me he never fought, but he was a good motivator. Ali used to uh, uh, like say stuff against him because he didn't really know uh, uh, boxing. And I'm just telling the truth. I'm a young man going into Ali's right. Game oh man, I'm a part of this stuff. All I had to do is work hard and I'm with these guys and I'm listening to the story. They don't know I'm sitting near me and other guy, Aaron Snowell. We sitting there watching them. Um, yeah, but Aaron, Aaron, you know what? I mean, Aaron liked Panama Lewis, who was, who was a criminal, who was a, you know, who, who helped kill Billy Collins, <clears throat> Louis Resto. Angelo learned in the 40s from Charlie Goldman and Ray Arcel and other great trainers and from his brother, Chris Dundee. So Angelo knew, but when I spoke to quite a few writers, Jerry Eisenberg, who I'm sure you know, Tim, and, and other people, excuse me, they said they were they were at training camps, right? Muhammad would look at Angelo and say, shut up. And I Angelo, know, that was bad. I didn't believe that. I was like, because Angelo and me were nice. Me, I love Angelo. He was cool. But Angelo also said, he said, with a guy like Muhammad, each fighter is a different person. So you can't tell Muhammad do this, do this, and do that. He said, what I would say to him is, I love the way you're pumping that jab and then throwing the right hand over top. And then he would do it. You couldn't just say to him this, this, and that. And of course, in a relationship that close, there's there's always going to be friction. But you have to remember, you know, when, when Muhammad had his eyes burning, when Liston had his mitts loaded, it was Angela who said, sit down and be quiet. The referee will stop it and kept washing his eyes out and said, run, just run, run for a round, your eyes will clear. So he was calm. When 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 Muhammad's glove was ripped before the Cooper fight, he showed it to, to Angelo and Angelo said, don't tell the ref because we may need it later on. So when Cooper knocks him down in the fourth round, Angelo has everyone circle around, he takes his pinkies and he rips the glove open. To get, and it bought Muhammad an that extra was smart. That was smart. Yeah, so, and, and there's always fights. I mean, Frazier fought with Yank Durham, and, and Ray Arcel, who was brilliant, had fights with his with his different fighters. Ray Arcel told me um, when he had the welterweight champion, Kid Lewis, 
he would say to him, Ted, I'm sorry, but not only are you married, but the fact that you're sleeping with a different girl every single night in training camp, I don't think you're going to win this fight. You know, he had to go to gangsters rare cell and say, can you help me here? Can you get rid of these girls and make sure no one, none of your hookers go with him so he can actually concentrate on training? And, and it, it worked, but it was quite common. You know, so I understand what you're saying. I mean, Angelo was well-respected and loved, and I would sit there. He knew his fighting and a great trainer, but he, he said to me, Tim, and you probably agree with this, he said the only real experts in boxing are the fighters themselves. Hmm. He said you could sit there with a fighter like yourself. No, no, I don't agree with that. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know nothing until Slim Robinson came and taught me everything. If that right. were, if we on the same, I didn't know nothing. But now know, I wouldn't have made it that far if my trainer wasn't intelligent and knew what to do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would I'm serious. I have to give right. him that credit. I, I'm like I wasn't tough. I was an athlete. I wasn't a guy come off the sh like in the street. You, hey, you, I'm a, I'm a, a bare knuckle. No, I, I don't want nothing to bare knuckle. But this is organized with the gloves on and everything. Bing, bing. I could do that. They got some real mean guys in the street. But um, I learned I'm an athlete. That's that. You know, that's where that comes in. You know, I'm an athlete and everything. And I witnessed Ali and uh, Angelo. They close relationship. Uh, uh, um, Drew Bundini, all them. I had a privilege to be right there. I right. seen him holler. I seen him holler. I seen him Ali hollered and he backed off. He barely hollered at Budini. You know, he barely hollered at him, but he did holler at Dundee one a uh, couple of times. And I didn't understand it because I was young at that time. I didn't young, but then later on I found out. Um, and and that was it. Sharia, Sharia. He's an African guy. He was there. He respected him. Oh, Sharia. Yeah, the guy from yeah. Cuba, the trainer. Yeah, the yeah. thing. Yeah, the thing. He was the, the in the masseuse. I know with Bundy. Yeah, he was masseuse, but he was trying to portray like he was a trainer too. He was in Cuba, but with okay. with, with um Bundini. Bundini was was like one of my sisters. Super super sensitive. He was so a I, player. Bundini yeah. was a player. Yeah. So. Angel said he 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 kept Muhammad light. He kept things funny. He kept Muhammad in a good mood. And he said, for a fighter, that's important. Somebody commented here like about they want to know if if you fought Evander Holyfield, what's how would you fight him? How would you go about fighting him? Evander Holyfield. Yeah. All I have to be is in phenomenal shape. I have better skills than him. He's relentless. <laughs> He's powerful. Um, you've got to give it to him. He deserved his championship. He worked hard. He's in really good shape. All I have to do is be in good shape. I, I'm a better boxer, but he's relentless. He keeps coming because he's in good shape. He has faith in his condition, and that that's that's what uh, gives a lot of boxers faith too. And 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 you know they're in good shape, and that even the ones that don't know how to fight, them being in shape. Oh man, I can do it. But the uh, the skills catch up with them later, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They catch up with them later. They get in there, they do good, and then then the skills, you know, bam, after a couple of rounds, or maybe earlier than that, they get caught. Some you know? guys are so hard, like Vito Antifermo. Vito Antifermo wasn't the most skilled guy, but he had more heart than anyone else. He's a good guy, too, man. Yeah, and a great yeah. guy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that love Vito, boy. he was something. He was tough. He could take a punch. Yeah. 
He can take a punch. Ain't that something? I was with Marvin Hedler, Vita, and the Fermo. Say some names, guys. I was with him. I didn't think I was going to. I didn't never think. I thought I was going to play be playing football. When I spoke to boxing on talk sports. When I when I spoke to Hagler about the antifermal draw, and I said, you beat him easily, and you got screwed and antifermal this, and he said, you have to understand, I'm not angry at Vito. It's nothing to do with him. It's the judges. I like Vito. I'm friends with him. It's not a personal thing. It's business. This is my oldest. Hold on real quick. Lynette, Lynette, I'm doing the podcast. I call you back, okay? Yeah, I have a quick question. No, no, what's up, baby? This is my oh, first man. grand, my firstborn, my grand, Lanaya. I, I just, I just, I just blew you up, okay? Only in boxing. Oh, I'm gonna call you back, boo boo, okay? You know I love you, right? If I get uh, when he gets off the phone, if I can ask her a quick question. All right, bye-bye. Sure. Yeah, that's my uh first grand. She's wow, beautiful. congratulations. She's I'm sorry, guys. No, no, don't apologize. You never apologize for talking to your grandkids. I got 14 grands, and they check up on me every once in a while. Near the end of that, what was you saying near the end of that? I had a question for you. I had a quick question because based on, you know, from a fan's perspective, uh, you you, you fellas were talking about uh, the corner. So, you know, between rounds, you know, we, we, we watch, but we don't really intently listen. Uh, we watch. And I'm kind of curious now as a fan, uh, what happens on a round by round basis. So in the early rounds, you've probably got motivational speaking as opposed to uh, therapists speaking to you, if you know what I mean. Whereas in the later rounds, you might have the reverse, whereas the motivational has gone by the wayside. Now you're in survival mode. So I'm just kind of curious whether the, the men you have in the corner with you or women these days, uh, whether their roles change as the as the as the uh, rounds progress, uh, you, you know, is 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 the first guy truly the first guy at the end of the uh, at the end of the fight, or is it more you're in survival mode and you're listening to the guy saying, "You got to do this, you got to do that. If you want to win this fight, you got to do this." Real quick, it could be an up and down thing where oh, this guy got the better of you this round. Then you try to capitalize on it and try to motivate him to win the next round. And then you might win the next two rounds and get a lot more motivation than you and head and you start pushing forward. Then you might have a bad round. The guy might be coming back up on you. Um, it's a back and forth thing. And the guy that's in your corner has to know how to shift, you know, this, this, right. this say exactly what, what when you're down, he got to push you up. When you when you're up, he got to keep you motivated. If this is what we're talking about, so as the rounds go on, um, you know, if you take the lead in the first round and keep on building it up, then um, all you need is a little confidence and say, "Come on, we got this. Let's keep going." But if you're behind, it's hard. It's not hard, but you just got to keep on from practice. You know exactly what to say. You're from practicing and right. being in this corner and being in the, in this corner, telling them, hey, man, come on. Tell him maybe his mom, his mom love him. Tell him <laughs> his dad. You got to think of things to motivate this kid. Oh, this girl, you yeah. know this girl going to marry you. You better, you know, things <laughs> like that. That If we're on the same track, if we're on the same track, stuff like that, you got to know how to motivate him. Once you see him down, you got to push him up. But if he's not down, you still got to motivate him to keep, keep, keep us. Uh, Keep it there or more, you know. Tim, I have a story for you. When when Willie Pastrano, the light heavyweight champ, went another one of Angel's fighters, he's fighting in England against Terry Downs. 
And I heard the names. I know them. Terry Downs. I was with him, I think. Yeah, British fighter. And after the third or fourth round, he comes back to his corner and Angel says to Willie, he says, uh, boy, that Terry Downs is a good guy. And he said, yeah, he is. He's, he's a good fighter, but he's it's during the fight. He said, but he's a real, he's a gentleman. And, and he said, I like him. And Angel said, no, 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 no. I like him. You love him. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> you think I'm gay or something? And he said, no, no, no. You must love him, Willie, because you're giving him your championship, your house, your wife, your future <laughs> earnings. And Willie starts swearing at Angel. He goes, don't get angry at me. Get angry at him. He's the one who's taking your title. And Willie goes out and knocks him out. But then you, you also have the other, the flip side of that, which is when Michael Moore fought George Foreman, after okay. the first, second round, Teddy Atlas says to Michael Moore, he says, listen, he's not trying to hit you with his left. It's a sucker. He wants to move you over to your left so you get right in front of his right hand. He's trying to move you over. Don't go for it. And and Michael said, no, no, it doesn't matter. I'm going to knock him out. And Atlas grabs uh, his face, Michael Moore's face, and he needed. Michael Moore always had a confidence problem, but he said, you're not listening. I'm begging you to listen. There's no tomorrow. Don't move to your left. That's what he wants you to do. Jab him, whack him, get out. He goes, I'm going to knock him out. And Teddy Atlas said, you're not going to knock George Foreman out. A tank is not going to knock him out. Okay? You're going to beat him on point, hit him, and run. And Moore wouldn't do it. And Foreman said after the fight, that's what I intended to do. I didn't care if I landed on my left. He kept moving over just a bit until he was right in line with my right hand. And then and then that was it. And Michael Nunn fought James Tony, And Angelo said to Michael Nunn, he's sucking you into a left hook. Every time he takes a step back, you follow. He tagged you with the left. Don't take the step forward when he does it. And none never listened and got knocked out in the 11th round because of it. Okay. So trainers can see that, but sometimes I asked Buddy McGirt this, and he said, listen, sometimes guys just don't listen. What are you going to do? You can't jump in the ring and fight it for them. You know, they they think I'm in the ring and I have a better feel for this. That's I, what practice is for, though. Practice is for, and they have to have confidence in you. If, if Buddy said that, then the boxer probably, his confidence level was a little low, if, if you know what I'm saying. Because yeah. if you believe in the trainer, you'll listen to him. You'll listen to him. You won't have that conflict. So maybe, 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 you know, Buddy McGurk got a good name. Yeah, he, he did. He, he achieves a lot of stuff. Maybe there's some doubts and certain things that he do. Or else he shouldn't get that feedback. I'm talking about the boxer shouldn't say stuff like that or react like that right. toward them. Let, well, let's, let, let, let's ask a couple of uh, questions of Tim before we jump into this weekend's uh, bouts, especially the ones that are happening tomorrow night. Uh, uh, one, of, one of our good fans, Adari Pennant, has asked uh, whether Tim, Tim Witherspoon would actually have fought uh, Lennox Lewis back in the day. And if so, how do you think it would have gone, Tim? Okay, we I was offered to fight. We we date the fight was supposed to go on, um, but but they turned it down. Lennox didn't turn it down, but they did. Lennox would have fought me any day of the week, any day of the year. This is what happened. They turned me down. I was hot then. I was in good shape. I had a couple of good fights. I knew if I was in, was in Holyfield shape, I would walk through the whole neighborhood. I walked through and become champ if. 
I was in condition or strong like those guys. I was I, I delivered my punch good and everything and know where to land on here to get you out of here instead of just throwing anywhere, anywhere. I was taught to throw it on places where you know you could hurt them, then you can finish them off. Once you get them hurt, you finish them off. So, um, you know, so so the Lennox Lewis fight, they turned it down. And I was like, whoa, because I wasn't in shape. They turned it down, but Lennox didn't turn it down. It was it was it was the management and stuff. Lennox would fight me any day of the week, any time. Same thing with Tyson. I was motivated when when they turned me down, and they did it because of this because this the talk was it was the skills, right? And I'm like, wow, they turned me down. Mike ain't gonna turn. Mike could get in there. We <laughs> wake him up nine o'clock this morning. He'll fight me like five minutes after that. And a couple of other people turned me down, and I was like, "Whoa, they don't know I'm out of shape. They don't know that I'm not yeah. ready for the fight mentally. I'm not really getting paid right, you know. I got ninety thousand dollars, and my opponent got a million four, and I'm the champ. Right? <laughs> I'm messed up, you know. So they could have just walked. They could have beat me. And I remember those fights, Lennox Lewis. I remember the Tyson fight. Um, I what Michael Moore, I think too. I think too. And Holyfield." Holyfield, they said, had a if something was wrong with his heart, so we couldn't fight. So I was like, wow, Holyfield got a hard heart. They said it was a hard heart, they call it. And we was going to fight. He would have fight me any day. He's a warrior. Yeah. He yeah. would fight me hey, any guys. day of the week. You know. Hey, Graham, how are you? Tim, nice yeah. to see you, Tim. How huh? are you? Oh, all right. Everything good. I lost about 20, 25 pounds. I'm, I'm I've reached the 30s now. I Are think, you? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You're, getting, yeah. you're getting to that point where you're, you're feeling good about. It. You see my oh, face a little again, better. Right? Yeah. Like you know, you can do. It. You're looking um, great. I'm not trying to do that, but I will. I will get in an exhibition. Um, I do believe that if I was to fight like somebody like top guy out there and get in good shape, I probably only would do it one time because of my age and and the and the and the and the and the, and the, and the engagement would probably take a lot out of me. Um, I possibly could do can make the proper movement and knock some of them young guys out don't that keep their hands down and when they right. like this they don't have the skills I'll take my time and hit them right and probably get them out there but that I just have to work hard if I was to do that but right now I'm 65 and um yeah. why would you want to we just dream it. It. <laughs> we have the proof you're already the world champion you what more can you prove? No, I know, I know, but I, I really wasn't in top money, shape. Money, money, money. <laughs> no, that's not that's not my love. I, I could use it. I could use it. Look, if an exhibition come, I'm ready. I'm ready. If they say Tim, they call me up. This is this is Friday. If they say Tim, we have a fight on Monday. I'm ready. If they say tomorrow, oh look, I just came. <clears throat> no, I took off today because all week I was hit. I was hitting the hammer doing the big ropes, not no small skinny ones. Big ropes and I was going three minutes five times with the big ropes and then the, the hammer broke so now I had to use a little one so I went to my son's gym he got a little bit heavier gym we had a heavy hammer at, at Johan's gym man I was killing so I was doing five rounds on the um ropes five rounds on the hammer and then I ran 30 minutes on the treadmill my weight came down um and everything um i hit the heavy bag but i ain't do no sparring i'm too old i'm old now i don't want to get hit 
Someone mentioned yeah. what would happen if you fought Michael Dokes. Dokes was static in the ring, though, right? You know, real quick, you know what? I love Mike. We was in camp all the time together. He had his own cabin, brand new. They gave him everything. But all I would have to do was hit him on his chin. That's all. He's a fast, quick boxer. I don't see no defense. He's dependent on speed, you know? And that one, I would have loved to fight. I would have loved to fight him. Hey, hey Tim. Yeah. Tim, I want to say thanks a lot for having me out here at TalkingFight.com with you every Friday. I'm really enjoying myself. And Lou, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you're like the professor or something. I call you now. You're so, <laughs> you're so awesome. I really love having you here. You're like a plethora of information, and you're one of the best ever. And I want to thank you for coming out all the time. My pleasure. Thank you. And of course, Grumpy Graham, of course. <laughs> but, you know. But anyway, I've been watching a couple of fights this week, you know, uh, older ones, right? And and I'm, this is basically directed towards uh, Lou and yourself, Tim. Uh, I was I was looking at Riddick Bow, all right? Now, that guy, as we all know, but he had that trilogy against Holyfield, as you know. And there was some big time, uh, you know, rounds those guys went in, in those fights, the the mm-hmm. three of them, right? Obviously, yeah. uh, Riddick took the, the title on, and the mm-hmm. first one. They had the rematch. Evander uh, uh, took it back. And it just it just seemed like a really – what were you thinking at that time? Because I don't even know. Was Riddick Bow on your uh, – on the radar with you or anything? Because he, he – We were supposed to – like I said, we were supposed to fight Evander. And they, they said that um, – he had a condition called something like hard heart, and his heart wasn't wasn't beating. Yeah, both both fought him. What in number two was or was it three that that he had the heart issue? So I don't understand no, why, but, but, why you, him and you. Yeah, I think I think with with Evander, I think it was misdiagnosed because it was it, it, right. the original cardiologist said he had a heart he had a heart murmur, and then. Or or hard heart, and and then a year or two later, he said he'd healed himself through faith, which isn't scientifically possible. And the, the other cardiologist said it was just misdiagnosed. Okay. And, and he he um, Bo was on everyone's radar. I I guess since the Olympics when Lennox stopped him, and Bo, I mean Riddick Bo was a a, a really good fighter, but. And he had Eddie Futch, one of the greatest trainers ever to have lived, but he he had a problem with with uh, with discipline, and you know he he didn't he was he had you know for a fighter to win you have to be disciplined and focused and staying in shape and and concentrating and and there were a lot of things going on in his life. Also, he was having marital problems, and. That just doesn't help anyone, especially a professional athlete, especially a boxer. You know, so uh, Bo was supposed to fight Lennox, and that never happened. I think more because Bo didn't like the WBC, which I don't blame him. But um, uh, yeah, the, the fights with Hollyfield, all three were great. Uh, they, they became good friends. Um, it's funny, Hollyfield kept saying to Bo, You're a dirty fighter. But actually, it's Hollyfield who used his head a lot and his elbows and his shoulders on everything. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. So when you watch him fight Tyson. He was always leaning on you because of his size. He'd lean on you. Hey, Tim, and, and yeah. just kind of give what you What are you talking about, Evander? 
But Evander, no, that was pretty good. Evander was skinny. Evander was light. He just was powerful. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Riddick would lean on the guy, but you're supposed Riddick to. Riddick would lean on you, yeah. Yeah, he's 6'5", 250. That's I mean, right. Lennox was 6'5", 260. So they're deliberately leaning on you to wear you down. But, but uh, uh, you know, Holyfield, when he fought, I, I, I don't think Tyson should have bit him, but Tyson had a good point. He said, I'm being headbutted by this guy. The guy's headbutting me. He's elbowing me. He's stomping on my feet. He's hitting me with his forearms, and you're not doing anything. And the referee's just like, continue fighting. There was no warning. There was no, and Mills Lane was a great ref. But I mean, that's, Hollyfield was great. If you ever, if you ever see an interview with Ray Arcel or Angelo Dundee or any of the old trainers, they showed you how you could get away with all those fouls. It's, there's a real art to it. And, and, and Evander was good at that, you know? So th those were, those were three great fights between three great, two great guys. And, the only one, I think it was the second or third fight, was marred by the fan man who came in from the sky. The second one, the guy landed in the ring in the fan, and then they had the big brawl in the crowd and all that jazz, and it was like yeah, they beat him. It was like a 20 or 30 minute delay and all that well, you jazz. Shouldn't, yeah. You shouldn't have to elbow. But, but that was good ball. for a vendor. He actually got better after that crazy incident because he got some strength or something. Because I'm just he wasn't I'm doing so good up to that point. I'm should I'm, I'm saying you shouldn't have to elbow and sneak in dirty right. punches if you're right. a true champion stuff like that. Or you know, I don't know. I never was taught to do dirty stuff. I was taught to do just regular boxing stuff. I was never taught to do anything dirty, like put your elbow here or that or something like that. And it's kind of crazy for somebody to teach him that. Um, he was headbutting. Maybe he learned to do that on his own. It worked. Maybe he did it, and and maybe. But I know he does headbutt. My brother Anthony um, uh, was his sparring partner. Was his sparring? A couple of my sparring partners was over there with uh, with uh, Vander Holyfield, and I used to hear a lot of uh, stuff what they do down there, the way they train and stuff like that. Um, but the the bottom line, he did fight a little dirty uh, with his head, and I heard a lot of complaints. And when even the sparring partners were saying that that he was kind of he get kind of dirty but if you finesse good and and you you won't need that you won't need that to rough somebody by give my elbow that's one of those guys that really ain't got no skills but they'll come at you they want to elbow you or headbutt you i don't need to do that i'll use my skills and make it look pretty so yeah, so on that, on that level let, let me just interrupt for a brief moment here um John Fury, uh, Tyson Fury's uh, father, came out this week and uh, because of the shenanigans going on, quite frankly, in the heavyweight division, had a few comments to make about Deontay Wilder. And one of the things he said, which is something that I've been saying for a while, is that after that last Tyson Fury fight, I thought uh, that Deontay Wilder had been concussed in that and was really uh, susceptible to a serious brain injury if he fought again. Uh, to which, you know, Deontay Wilder said, no, he's ready to come back in the ring. And obviously he's uh, going to. But the point of the matter is, is John Fury came out just this week and said, no, Tyson Fury actually cracked his skull. And and now whether that was confirmed by the medical uh, people over in uh, well, wherever that third fight was fought, I can't remember. Uh, but the point of the matter is, is uh, I've, I've said this for a long time, that Deontay Wilder is seriously at risk if he enters the ring again and i was really surprised to see john fury come out this week and say yeah absolutely his skull was cracked uh, i don't think it's, it's proof it's proof yeah. 
I, I, agree, I agree with that 100%. I, I, and I want to tell you why. I'll make it quick. Uh, this week on my Substack, I posted a, 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 on Once Upon a Time in the Prize Ring, uh, I posted an article on Jeanette Zacharias Zapata, the Mexican girl who was 18 who died in the boxing ring in Montreal a couple of years ago. And, and, and uh, they did a study, a Montreal neurologist, neurosurgeon dealing with the brain, did a study. And he said, um, UFC, MMA has more overall injuries than any other combat sport or any other sport. But boxing has more brain injuries. And he said, the problem with something like a Deontay Wilder is they'll say, we gave him an MRI and they'll give him a CAT scan. And this doctor in Montreal said, that's all BS. Because unless you, the, the stuff you get in an actual clinic when you walk into your doctor's office, he says, it's not what you're going to get from a surgical doctor who has who, who, who will give you a deeper MRI and which will be able to see lesions on your brain or brain bleeds. He yep. said, you have to see a neurosurgeon in a person-to-person -person visit so we can assess neurologically how much your brain has been hurt. And he said, the proof is this. He said, in, in the last 40 years in professional boxing, out of every four boxers that have had it been knocked out and been cleared eight months to 12 months, a year later to fight, he said he looked at all their CAT scans and their MRIs, and he said at least 25 to 45 percent still had a concussion, even though the clinical neurosurgeon said they're fine. And he said, I'm, an, I'm a surgical neurosurgeon. They're not fine. They still have a concussion. And he said, Bob, the problem with something like Deontay Wilder and, and, and what Deontay Wilder's team is saying is that they're basing it on data that's 40 to 50 years old and outdated. Recent data shows that a boxer like Deontay can get knocked out like that and receive permanent brain damage and shouldn't be fighting again. And people that say otherwise, they're wrong. And and I agree with you, Graham, and I agree with John Fury. He received a lot of damage in that fight. I don't think he should be fighting again. No. Hey, and you know what? The, the, the percentage of, of him really getting hit is in you know, the percentage of him not getting hit would have been um, lower if he would have had somebody to teach him defense. Now, we can go all the way back to the beginning of where all this stuff uh, starts, where you're learning how to fight and everything. And I emphasize on that because, I mean, I mean, I got a good defense and um, I, I put, kept my hands up and everything, but he wouldn't have got hit with those shots if he would have had the right person in his corner. And I'm sorry to keep saying it on different shows. If he learned how to do like this, block and stuff like that and slip, he don't know how to do, he just do like this, come in like that. And that's how yeah, you're right. You're right. He, would, he wouldn't be in this situation. Right. Lennox, tried, Lennox tried to train him, but he gave up after a while. He Lennox, kept Lennox I, hate, I don't want to talk about it, but he's not a, he's not a good a uh, 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 defensive trainer because he's big, he's strong. If you look at his movement, and I'm not trying to be a hater, but Lennox was big and strong, and he hit you and he hurt you. But in terms of defense, you don't see him putting up defense. You don't see him doing this. You just see him maybe like this. But there's other things you do with defense so you can counter also. So, so um, I'm not down on him. I didn't even know that he he made it. It was the name. It's the name that that um that that that. That got him towards uh, uh, Dante Wilder, right? It was Dante Wilder. 
Well, Deontay reached out. So Lennox, I mean, it wasn't official. Lennox just spent some time with him and showed him this is how you disguise a I remember. Dream. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's some videos of it, but he didn't spend he, a lot he, of time with him. Deontay had his own had his own people, but people just won't. One thing about boxing that most people, fans, as Ali said, are bloodthirsty, won't accept that a fight or a career can end with one punch. And and the fan will say, wait a minute, I paid hundreds of dollars. How can this be the title fight and it's over and around? Well, what do you want us to do? The guy's unconscious. But it happens. And, and the brain isn't meant to take that. But what Tim said, and this is what the neurologist just said, what, exactly what you said, Tim. He said, fighters that are properly balanced can diffuse the power of a punch to their head through their legs. And if they're defensive minded enough and they're skilled like you and can slip in that, they can last longer in their boxing career. Keep their hands up. Keep their hands right. up. But most boxers don't. So a couple of weeks ago. Nowadays. Nowadays. Right. Adam Konaski, this he's lost four in a row and retired. He was fighting a guy and he got he got he kept taking punches in the head. Yep. Sugar Hill, who who was who was with Emmanuel Stewart, who I really yeah, like. <laughs> he's a great guy. And he's he a said great guy, but he's not he's never fought. It's a shame. Right. But a lot of the trainers never fought, except for Charlie Goldman. And what happens is a, a guy like a guy like Sugar Hill said to him after the first round, Adam, you can't stand there and take punches like that. You can't stand in front of him. And he did, and he got his head taken off. Listen, you have to direct the the boxer um, a different way than that. Instead of just, you got to tell him what he has to do. You have to put your hand here. You have to keep your defense tight. You actually tell him stuff. Sugar Hill didn't know. He just had. He just gave him some kind of hope and and words. He didn't actually tell him to keep his hands here or keep his stand there or counter over stuff and there's a lot of trainers in the corners they know how to motivate you with certain language and words by not directly telling you what to do put your hand here uh cross catch it and cross over you don't see a lot of that in the corner yeah keep your hands right. you know his hand is low give him a fake and, and turn that their left hook on him but when you do that make sure you come right back to defense see, that's what trainers saying that well, what fascinates me more than any other person in the sport is Jack Blackburn. He trained Joe Lewis. He created the perfect boxing machine. Joe Lewis had perfect balance. He had great defense. But Blackburn was one of the best lightweights, if not the best lightweight on earth, in the early 1900s. But because of the color of his skin, he wouldn't, he couldn't get a, a fight with the world champion. Hmm. So he gets, he trained Jersey Joe Walcott for a short time. He gets Joe Lewis. And he got in the ring with Lewis and, and he showed him, this is what you do. When a guy backs you into the corner and he wants to throw the right, you slip it, hook your arm in his arm, spin him, whack him. And he, he, he got in the ring with Lewis and went grab his legs and say, put your left foot here, put your right foot here. This is what happens. And he'd say, I throw this and you got to block that. But at the same time, you know, you block it, you should be able to counter me. And what happens if I hit you with the other hand? And he went through every situation and he said to Lewis, this has to be as familiar to you as breathing. So when a guy's in a ring, you're not thinking of reacting. You're just reacting. And it was Blackburn, who was one of the all-time great fighters and never gets the credit he deserves for being an absolute genius, um, turned Lewis. And he said Lewis is going to be a world champion, not because he's so strong, but because he has superior defense. 
And he, he was right. Punch. He could punch too. <laughs> he was the greatest puncher that ever lived, going back three hundred years. No, you know what? When I don't, I don't. When I go online, I don't comment on these twenty-year-olds who say the ten greatest punchers ever or the greatest fighter ever. They never knew Joe Lewis. No one on earth ever could punch with the power of Joe Lewis. He could take your head off. Not even George yeah. Foreman. Foreman was a great puncher, heavy clubbing puncher. And Tyson could punch, but Joe Lewis, I mean, Joe Lewis knocked guys out with jabs. He, he'd knock eight or ten teeth out. Wow. You know, he hit he hit Braddock, broke his cheekbone, a hairline fracture of the jaw, one punch, knocked him out cold. I mean, Braddock didn't wake up for half an hour. Lewis hit guys that, he hit a fighter named Nathan Mann so hard, man, hit the canvas, bounced back. Kissed the referee Arthur Donovan on the face and asked him out for a drink. That's how hard he hit. Sound him. Like something Ali would say. <laughs> yeah, and I mean Joe Lewis was a demolition machine. Guys, Angelo told me guys would literally crap their pants and have to be cleaned up. That's how terrified they were of Joe Lewis. Let's wow. let's uh, let's let's quickly uh, towards the end of the show have a quick little discussion about the uh, the welterweights. Uh, because we've got we got uh, Boots Ennis uh, competing this weekend. We got Ortiz uh, competing this weekend, uh, and that of course leads up to the Spence Crawford fight. Now, whether they stay in the same division or not, but anyway, I just wanted to have your thoughts on maybe Neil. You haven't said so so much. Do you have any thoughts on uh, this weekend's welterweight bouts that are going on? Yeah, thanks a lot, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. The the bouts this weekend are fantastic. We're uh, we're all looking forward to it. I hope uh, I'm looking forward to it. That's for sure. I really like the way uh, Virgil Ortiz has come around uh, since a few years ago. I talked to him uh, on my show, like about him and stuff, and I was looking at him. One of my prospects coming up, uh, him and Taya Fermo were like, you know, if you look at my stuff years ago, I thought these guys had a good shot, you know, to get get in position to become world champions. And, and Ortiz is Ortiz is not disappointed all the way up the ladder. I mean, he's what Graham nineteen and 0, 19 knockouts. He's undefeated. He's, uh, yeah, he's actually fighting guys that are you know they're not just average guys. No, I think the guy admirably. I think the guy he's fighting is undefeated as well. Saniosis. That's mm -hmm. correct. Yeah, he's undefeated as well. So I mean. He's not ducking guys like he's not running and ducking or anything. He actually wants to get in there and actually, you know, show him what he's got, which is what I'm looking forward to the fight. Uh, both guys, you know, I hope they have a great. It's going to be a really good fight, Grant. In my opinion, they can both. They both have knockout power. Uh, they both have excellent foot footwork, speed, this that, you know. So it should be pretty good. I'm really looking forward to it. And the other one we're going to be watching for sure is uh is Boots Ennis, right? And, and he's that's what I want to talk about. I'm gonna look forward to seeing that fight. Yeah, Anderson Villa, Roman Villa, or something. Roman Villa, right? Yeah, Anderson's yeah, is a great fighter. He's got everything. He's got great footwork, great hand speed. Yeah. One of his recent fights, he was a bit off, but he's he's brilliant. So the fact that he wasn't a perfect ten, he was a nine point nine. So what? Right. He's still he's still a privilege. It's like Tim in his prime. Still a privilege to watch someone okay. do it, making it an art form. Did you hear Man. what he was saying this week about the uh, Crawford uh, the Crawford fight? No, what he said. Spence, did you hear what he was saying, Luke? No. He said it's a 50-50 in his mind. Because as Tim said, neither of them got any defense. And that's what no. he said. That's what Blue Tennis said. He said that. 50-50. That's his opinion. 
because neither of them have any defense. That lucky punch or something, I guess. I don't know. But he says I'm saying, about, I'm saying that about a lot of boxers and deserver. Like back in the day, all the, the old trainers had. They telling you put your hands up. You know, right. not all, not all defense. So um, right. Oh, he's in that division, so or you know what I mean. Or, yeah, or Ennis may he Boots Ennis may be the best welterweight in the world at this point in time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 30, I mean, 30, 30 and 0, 30 and 0. Yeah, and and Tim, to what you were saying, you know, you knew and know a lot of trainers over the years turn turn guys away. They're saying, "Sorry, you don't have defense, or you can punch, but you know, you're, you just it's not there. I don't want you to get hurt." Well, the only reason why they were turning them away if they don't know how to, I never heard heard too much of that. If they can't teach them, they can't teach. Now I seen I seen uh, Ennis um, engage with this with this individual, and I said, "Well, who's gonna have to tighten his defense up a lot or learn just a just a little bit more?" That's add on. Now he's hundred percent like sharp and everything, and keep his D a certain way. But then I seen this one time. I said, "Wait a minute." He might need a little tightening up. Don't relax too much, uh, uh, right? Don't relax too much. Be the right. same way all the time, if you know what I'm talking about. And relax a little bit. And I seen him get caught. I seen him get caught, and I said, "Oh, in the future, that might be a problem." So, um, but he was doing everything else good. Everything else good. And then I guy put that pressure on him. I said, "Oh, I kind of felt a little." I said, "Oh, you better tighten that one up." I seen, and he did it a couple of times. He hit uh, Ennis a couple of times and was successful. And I was like, "He might have to uh, tighten it up because he might get hit solid." Yeah, there, there's, solid. there's who was that fighter out of New York, Chris Cordell or Corden, or he, he used to come in with the red and blue and green hair, and he fought. Grand, no, I'm grand. Pardon me. No, grand. Wait, wait you saying I fought him? <laughs> well, but but he fought the guy who went on to get knocked out by Tank Davis. He fought a he Mexican Chris Cordell or whatever fought this Mexican guy who got knocked out by Tank Davis. But the oh. Mexican guy was beating up Chris. I can't remember his name. Uh, Corden or or or, or um, um, uh, African American fighter, but different color hair and very flashy. But he had no defense, and and Al Bernstein kept saying, unless he can stop this guy's punches with something other than his face, he's not going to win, you know. And he didn't. I mean, he lost by a lot. He, I think he may have been stopped even because he just, he, and he didn't have any excuses. He said, "I lost because I fought terribly," you know. But he, but like you're saying, without defense, a fighter without a defense is is like a fatality waiting to happen. Waiting you know. to happen is a good thing to say because yeah, right. Um, they're doing really well, they're doing really good offense, and then when they get to that right one, that then the exposure comes. But there is boxers that made it without defense, but they paid the price. You can't really understand what they're talking about when you know when they're walking down the street, you talk to them and and you know, you could tell that it was some damage being done. But they yeah. there's guys out there won the title, they're good offense. But when you talk Chris Colbert, nowadays, you, I, see, I know a couple of them. Colbert, that was his name, Chris Colbert. Colbert, yeah, okay. Yeah, Colbert. okay. There there are a couple of uh, bonus battles on the uh, Ortiz-Staniones card, by the way. Uh, let me point out that uh, Marlon Esparza and Gabriele Alanis are going to fight for the WBA, WBC, and WBO Women's World Flyweight title. 
And someone who we've mentioned on Talk and Fight a lot, Floyd Schofield, is going up against Haskell Rhodes in the lightweight division. So there, those are a couple of, and there are other uh, fighters on that card as well. But I'm just mentioning a couple of names that we've said quite often here on Talk and Fight. So that, that, that's that, that, that unto itself is a good card. I'm good to see these promoters putting on cards that mix it up a little bit. Um, you know, because we've we've often said that the, the Spence Crawford undercard is, I'm not going to say light because that's a little cliche, but uh, you know, weak, I, I, maybe weak. that's a big fight. It's a big fight. Oh, it's going to be yeah, a great, that's gonna be a great is, fight. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, a lot. the undercard is lacking. And when I was a kid in the '60s and '70s, the undercard often was better than the main fight. Right. Because right, right. and when I go back yeah, and I look yeah, at the posters yeah. now, I go, all of those guys ended up being champions. It was like six fights. 12 fighters and they all became champs i mean they were all they were all phenomenal fighters yeah you know yeah. i i'd love to see virgil Ortiz take on boots and yes that was my next thing just quick guys so if, if virgil wins and ennis wins then what happens guys it, it it depends if they're if uh if either spencer crawford stay at weight or move up in weight it, right that's what happened and how their fight ends up i mean if 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 one guy knocks the other guy out decisively it doesn't have to be a rematch but if it's a split decision or just you know or yeah. a unanimous decision there'll be a rematch so they would have to wait yeah right but but either way it, first of all these two cards that are happening tomorrow night in our world anyway are are, are substantial enough Right uh, but, but I do, but I do like the undercard on on the Ortiz fight. Um, but with respect to Spence Crawford coming up, it's that July 29th, so it's in a couple of weeks. Um, personally, my money's on Crawford, uh, but uh, but that's going to be a gr a really great fight. Uh, and that 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 oh, yeah. I think that I think uh, is up there in those uh, Titan clashes that we used to see back in the. The 80s and 90s uh th this is a this is one for our generation to look up at and say yeah, yeah i remember that fight because and i really i really do hope that uh i'm gonna say the kids out there uh they get their money's worth if they're if they're paying 69 dollars or the dads are paying 69 dollars on pay-per-view whatever i i think they'll get their money's worth but uh you know i mean my my only question, Graham, is how much did the car accident affect Errol Spence Jr.? You know, I mean, he got really racked up in that. He almost died. So I wonder how much he has left in him. He almost the, died. He was in a car crash, I Errol know. Spence Jr. Yeah, and he almost died, apparently. Like, he, he was really, it was touch and go for a while. He was really injured. And, well, uh, they would have advertised that before, like weeks, months before the fight. People probably would have doubted, uh, doubted why should they make the fight if he, if I knew I heard about that. Most of the fans probably still know that they're still behind him. I guess. Yeah, they're still behind him. He said he's fine. He's had a couple of fights okay. since then. He's fine. Yeah, and he's looked good, but he hasn't looked like he had like he did before the fight. Before the car crash. Well, they can make an excuse if something happened anyway. We should got that. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying they probably well the accident probably boom boom boom, you know. Yeah, you know, on the bright side, I remember when uh Terrence Crawford split with Bob Arum was just last year. Or so one one of the comments was from Bob Arum's camp was that, you know, Terrence didn't do enough to promote a fight. 
you know, he wasn't worth the money per se. And I'm really glad to see Terrence stepping up to the mic, quite frankly, these days. And, uh, and quite frankly, being respectful, he hasn't said a single thing, to my knowledge, about the uh, Errol Spence uh, crash. So that's really good, because right. quite frankly, he could play with his mind on that one. And he didn't and hasn't, mm -hmm. to my knowledge, anyway. He, I mean, he might have, but I don't think I've heard anything out of Terrence's mouth about that uh, that horrific crash. So, Well, that's why boxing fans and people in the sport love the fact that when, you know, when uh, Leo Santa Cruz beat Carl Frampton in the rematch, Carl Frampton said, I lost because he was a better fighter tonight. He's a great champion. Right. And there's no shame in losing to a great person and a great fighter. Right, absolutely. And that's the way it should be in boxing. It's always been the gentleman's sport. You know, it's just certain uh, sorted individuals and underworld types that may turn it the other way around. Right. But yeah. I mean, there's, to me, there's no sport on earth that gives you that excitement in your stomach, like the final 30 seconds before a big world title fight's about to start. Absolutely. You know, when. Absolutely. when when Pacquiao fought Mayweather and everyone in the bar I was at was just like leaning over, like, you know, it's going to start now. It's actually happening, you know? And the, the only thing I ask for moments like that for my friends is don't text me because <laughs> I always get text. And then after you never text me back because I don't want to spend time looking at my phone. I want to watch. The Absolutely. Fight. Absolutely. Well, we've, uh, we've hit that hour mark and, uh, the fans are screaming for one last comment from Tim here. Lennox Lewis versus Larry Holmes. Prime for prime. Who wins that fantasy matchup? Um, I think that Lennox Lewis is really strong and put the pressure on in their prime. Because I think uh, Lennox Lewis's defense, he don't block jabs because he's strong and he just power you out with his punches. He don't really block jabs that much. I don't know. That would be that's that's a a, strong, a hard fight for both Larry, Larry Holmes in his prime and Lennox Lewis in his prime. Um, but Larry Holmes had a hell of a jab, and yeah. and Lennox Lennox then his defense wasn't really the best, but he overpowered guys with his jab and just put that pressure on him. So um, if Larry Holmes uh, weather the not weather the storm, if he's up for the fight, I think he'll do really well. But Lennox is strong and going to hit you. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That jab was good. Larry in his prime. Lennox in his prime. Larry had a good jab, and he lasts those rounds. He lasts, and if he got beat, he came right back. You got to give it to him. So uh, that's a hard one. Well, Lennox is going to hit him. Lennox is going to hit him a lot harder than Ronaldo Snipes did. <laughs> and and a lot harder. Well, maybe We're not talking as hard about as in prime. Shit. In the prime. Ooh. Right. Right, because when when Shavers knocked him down, that's what I was going to say. I've seen that earlier today. Yep, and it, Larry felt like he'd been shot, mm -hmm. and he got up. My father, who worshipped Joe Lewis, looked at me and said, "He's the greatest fighter that ever lived." To get up from that and then knock the guy out—that's you know, no other man. That was a hell of a fight, eh, Lou and Tim? The uh, Shavers. Uh, oh, yeah. oh my God! Yeah, that was that I was, was earlier today. Yeah, I was watching it. Yeah, and, it was amazing. And I got to tell you, no one I've seen in boxing history can hide a right hand better than than Lennox. But you're right. I mean, when Holmes fell, to me, it wasn't a question of if he could get up. I didn't think he'd get up. I thought, it, did he break his jaw or did he break his neck? 
But he got up and he just looked at Shavers and said, that was the wrong thing to do, buddy. Pretty much. And he went after him and beat the hell out Shavers of him. Shavers would stop breathing. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what he was doing in training yeah. camp, but Shavers got tired. Yeah. Um, I know he had a history yeah. of getting of being sluggish after maybe six rounds. But if he was the same, it's the, the same condition as his first three or four rounds, that would have been in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been in trouble because Ernie hit him. Boom. He went down. Oh yeah, yeah. Boy, did he go down? Boom! Look who stepped in the room. It looked like somebody shot a deer or something. The way it went down. The way oh, I'm gonna down. tell him. I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell him you was talking about him. Watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ain't gonna how, do that. How can we not? The great fights. All right, gentlemen. Uh, any last comments before we sign off for the evening? I see you next week. Yes, Mike. My book's coming out next week. Boxing's greatest controversy. Oh, looking, cool. looking, looking forward to it, Lou. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I just, hope, uh, this hey, we get, hopefully, we get a signed copy. I'm on YouTube. Yes, absolutely. And in this channel, subscribe to it. Uh, we bring good stuff. Yes, you do uh, all the time. And great memories. Yep. Great memories. Absolutely. Yeah, and and, and hope to others, which is the main thing. Ah, good okay. point. Thanks very much, Lou. Thanks very much, Neil. Thanks very much, Tim. Appreciate it. Member fans, share, like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and we'll see you next Friday night here on the Friday Night Panel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.